You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is late night. Henry was in earlier today. Steve Thompson sitting in. Craig Shrepfer is our producer. And pleased to be joined by my favorite space and science writer, Robert Zimmerman. Been visiting with with Bob uh, for for many, many years. Uh, So generous with his time. and Always good to visit with you, my friend. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be on on with you, Steve. Uh, Always glad to talk about space, you know that. (laughs) And I'm always glad to be on with you. Yeah, you've written many wonderful books over the years. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Once again, I I enjoy our chats. Lots of cool stuff going on as always. Uh, you should know that my most recent Steve, my most recent book, uh, Conscious Choice, uh, is now in print and paperback. For people who are interested, they can go to my website behind the black and pick up a copy. Uh, it's no longer just an ebook, and uh, I think you read that and liked it, so you know it goes into the file. One more book. Yeah. How many works? How many books is it now? In, in your in your long career, uh, it depends on your interpretation. Yeah, I've done about I've done I think I'd say six books, six books, and they're all they're all based they're all telling the story of um, uh, space exploration in some manner, and they, I basically cover all the major historical points uh, of the first half century of space exploration. Uh, uh, the first manned mission to another planet. That was Genesis Story of Apollo 8. I know you like that book. Oh, um, uh, I, wrote the, I wrote the history of the Hubble Space Telescope because that was the very first time human beings actually could put glasses on and see the universe as it really looks. Uh, and I've written the history of manned space uh, post-Apollo that mostly is about Russian space, uh, Soviet and Russian era uh, space station work, which is something that Americans need to know about. They want to understand what is known and what needs to be learned. And my most recent book, Conscious Choice, uh, is is actually a little bit of a different history. It's a history of the origins of slavery in the early Americas, in North America, specifically in the British colonies. And I wrote it to try to understand what works when you build a new colony in a new place, uh, because that's what we'll be doing when we go to other worlds. And so what works, what doesn't, and what fails, and that's really important if you wish to build prosperous, good future societies on other worlds. And so that's why I wrote that. And um, I also wrote a policy paper called Capitalism in Space. came out in 2017. And it appears that that policy paper, which I know is distributed to almost every uh, swampette and swamper 
in D.C. has had major influence in how um, uh, space is being run now in the government. They're, they basically accepted almost all the recommendations I made, which I'm very honored and I'm also very glad because it, it's, it's, it's the reason why we're having this gigantic resurgence and a renaissance in space exploration right now and in the aerospace industry. It's not so much exploration, but Wealth and prosperity is being is 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 occurring in space by these many new companies making a lot of money, and that's of course accruing to people here on Earth, and that's all because they changed their policy. They became, as I recommended, uh, no longer the government no longer tries to build anything. It now hires private companies to do it and lets them own what they create, leaves it to them to own it. And what that happens, what happens then is that they have incentives to do a good job, and the result is that they produce good product that's, uh, that they can sell to others at low cost. And it's, it's, re- it's totally be creating a renaissance in space. And that, that, I think, in, in some ways, in the end, even though the other histories are important, that might be the most influential history I ever wrote. Yeah, and Bob, the, the, the seed money, if you will, that that's being sprinkled around and you know let's let's build it let's send astronauts to the international space station is 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 really energized as you pointed out and the example has been you know the early days of the aviation industry it was kind of like okay this is you know let's do military stuff let's haul the mail that sort of thing is that a fair comparison to aviation say a hundred years ago yeah, that was one of the points I made in yeah. in capitalism in space. Uh, in the in the first half century of uh, aviation, the federal government never once uh, 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 presumed to build any airplanes themselves. What they did is they, if they had a need, if they wanted to improve their airplanes or build, get planes built, especially in World War II, they hired private companies competitively to come up with designs and product. And the companies still owned what they built. And so what happened is, like Boeing created the Flying Fortress and then the Super Fortress, that technology they then turned around and were able to use to make um, uh, commercial passenger planes, the very first really successful passenger planes for Pan American, and later the first jets that really were profitable. And uh, so that was the concept then. Unlike with NASA after the 60s, it, it decided it would build the space shuttle, it would design it, it would own it, it would, it would control it, which meant there was no incentive for low cost, there was no profit motive. And uh, the government wasn't interested in innovation, so nothing new came out of it. Uh, you get you have competition and private ownership, and what you get and the, the incentive of profit, and what you get then is innovation and lowering costs, new ideas, and uh, achievement, real achievement. And that's what we're seeing right now. And it's good for the government too, because they get bang for their buck. They're no longer spending money and not getting anything accomplished. We're actually. We're actually doing things now in space, and actually real things are happening, and it's really exciting. Yeah, and uh, speaking of that, SpaceX, uh, one of the things that uh, many are very excited about, and that is Starship, and that goes to Elon Musk's plan of sending humans to Mars and ultimately colonizing Mars. It will take uh, large ships, a, a, a lot of capacity to get a lot of stuff to mars uh and 
they're getting closer and closer to doing an orbital launch. And there, there really is exciting news. There's, there's setbacks along the way, but that is part of it. What's really interesting about what SpaceX is doing with Starship Super Heavy, this is a Saturn V class rocket. It'll put up as much payload, 100 tons, as the Saturn V did that took us to the moon. But it'll be completely reusable, and it'll be very cheap to launch relative to very cheap. I mean, it'll be cheaper than the Falcon 9 rocket that SpaceX has got right now. But what's really interesting about it is that it's not being paid for by the federal government. Um, SpaceX has over the last four years raised close to uh, actually maybe a little bit more than $9 billion in private investment capital from investors, from Wall Street, from elsewhere, people who have decided to put their money behind this rocket. Uh, They might be doing it because they're space cadets, but it's also money, which means they really must believe that this rocket's not only going to fly, but make them money. That's what's really interesting about it. It's not, you know, he wants to go to Mars. That's that's his ultimate goal, Elon Musk. But he's building a rocket to make money with. He's keeping that in mind, and and uh, and so therefore, there's investment capital to make it happen, and it's an incentive to make it happen practically, quickly, and affordably. And the result will be not only will he make money for his investors and himself and have a very profitable, active, uh, viable, operational rocket. But it'll make it possible then to go to Mars uh, reasonably. You, when you compare what Musk is doing with, this, with Starship Super Heavy versus what NASA's been trying to do with its comparable SLS rocket, and I know you've heard this from me many times, Steve, yes. and your listeners, if they heard me before, have heard this, but when you compare the two, SpaceX is getting it done very fast for a tenth the cost. And it's going to be able to launch regularly and quickly. For example, they hope to do the, the, it looks like they're going to be doing their first attempt to do an orbital launch sometime after September 1st this year. And they have a, 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 an FCC license for communications that's going to last for six months beginning September 1. They've got to get their FAA launch license, but I expect that to happen very momentarily. Um, what that means is they're not going to just do one test launch. They're going to do a series of test launches through those six months, expecting the first few to fail, expecting that, and not bothered by it because each failure will teach them something about what they have to fix because these are prototypes they're testing. And that's, that, by having a program like that, expecting failure and launching frequently, they develop very fast. And when they're done, they've got something that is very reliable and robust. And you compare it to SLS, SLS has been under construction now for almost a dozen years, costing 10, time, more, 10 times the cost. Um, and it has not done one test flight. It's going to do its first test flight is scheduled now for the end of August, August 29th. It's no guarantee it'll actually launch that date, but that's their schedule. That's when they're going to do, try to do the countdown. Now, that's a launch at the very end of the program. So if anything goes wrong, it's going to be very difficult to fix it because this rocket is now completely developed by computer, and they really don't know if their designs in computer, you know, uh, in the development stage, are really good. And in order to do it that way, with no testing along the way, you've got to really over-design it, which makes it cost a lot of money and takes a lot of time, a dozen years. 
And, and this is the difference between, you know, private enterprise trying to do it for profit and a government agency trying to do it with profit is not involved. So I, I fully expect in the next year we're going to see lots of Starship Super Heavy launches and uh, leading up to Luna missions, I really very quickly, well, SLS will not go very far. It'll, if it even has a successful test flight, it'll send an Orion capsule to the moon for about two or three weeks and then back to Earth. Even if that's successful, the next mission is still going to be two to three years away. And in wow. that time, uh, I expect SpaceX to get much more done, much more done. Yeah, and one of, one of the other things about this, and, and when we've talked about the difference between SLS and what Elon Musk and SpaceX are doing with the Starship uh, program, if you will, down in Texas, is that the the goal is reusability. And they've already done that with the first stage of the Falcon 9. They return the first stage. They, they rehabilitate those, and they use them again and again and again and drive costs down. SLS, 100% disposable that none of that hardware that people will see launch potentially later this month or maybe in September, um, while it'll be spectacular to see, it is all disposable. So, which in this era of SpaceX seems insane. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Um, it's an ironic thing with SLS, too, because Congress, in a sense, designed it. The Congress said, in order to speed development and save money, you're going to use shuttle technology and shuttle parts. So the engines for this launch are formal en- formerly engines that, was on a, that were on a space shuttle, that were used multiple times on a space shuttle. So that's supposed to save time and money. And the solid rocket strap-on boosters that will be on this SLS rocket at the end of the month uh, segments thereof, in fact, all the segments, as far as I understand, were used on shuttle launches and then refurbished and they're going to be reused again. So they have you. this is reused, but they then throw it away. And 
the uh, the reusing of shuttle parts and shuttle uh, boosters hasn't saved a, a, a second of time. It's probably slowed things down, and it's surely not saved any money at all because the cost of this thing is a is abominable. Um, so that's even more that suggests even greater to use your word, Steve, insanity in this whole operation. And it, it's not so much insane, but it's just the um, consequences of how government functions and, and, and its motives and its desires and how it's structured. The way government is functioned, it's not focused on profit or efficiency. It's pro- pro- focused on budget and how to create the largest budget for its programs as possible. And that's just simply the way government is. It's not even corrupt. It's just the way fu- government functions. But the result of that is you do not get much, much, much success out of it in the long run. You do not. You might have a program, for example, like the Apollo missions to the moon in the 60s that does achieve things well and do it efficiently, the government. But in the long run, dry rot always sets in because of the way the government functions. And eventually you start to get this kind of program like SLS that just takes a lot of money and a lot of time. Oh, look, it's not just SLS. Let's, I want to make it clear. There's many other examples. The space station, ISS cost something like eighty billion dollars and more than a decade more than two decades to build well there are now four private companies building private space stations to replace the space station and those stations are going to be built in less than five to six years and when you add the cost of all of them up it won't be a tenth the cost of uh, building the uh, ISS so that's just once again, and those private space stations are all aimed at trying to make money and do it fast and quickly. They can't do it any other way, else they won't make money. And so it encourages doing things fast and quickly and efficiently. And therefore, what happens is you get things done. Things happen, and it's exciting. So you know, this is this is the function of government versus private enterprise. And what is the United States? The United States was built on the concept of free enterprise, private enterprise, private ownership. Uh, individuals following their dreams. It is wasn't it wasn't founded on the concept of government programs dictating how we do things. Quick break. We'll come back. China very active. We'll get an update from Bob on what China is doing. And are they acting irresponsibly with with these large rockets and how they return to Earth? We'll, we'll get his thoughts on that. Uh, and his website, Behind the Black. Once again, Robert Zimmerman joining us here on News Talk, E3OWCCO. Robert Zimmerman joining us, my favorite space and science writer, good enough to spend some time with us. And he's written many wonderful books and has a website, Behind the Black, posting a lot of great content, a lot of terrific images a little bit later on, uh, some more images from Mars and his comments. But right now, China. And they are very active, doing a lot of launches, uh, launching large rockets, big payloads. They have a space station. But some of these rockets just come tumbling back to Earth. Uh, There are concerns that they are acting irresponsibly. What what is your read on that, Bob? Uh, Is China right now uh, doing something that is dangerous or irresponsible? Uh, China is a rogue nation when it comes to space and is doing is is more than irresponsible. It is willfully negligent and irresponsible. I, I, I'm not I don't 
believe in diplomacy. I believe in being straight about this. Um, they they have built a rocket called the Long March uh, 5D. It is their most powerful rocket, and it's the rocket they're using um, for their uh, both interplanetary and interplanetary program and their manned space station program. And they use it to launch the modules for their space station, as well as later on they're going to launch a Hubble-class optical telescope that is really the, the replacement for Hubble that James Webb is not. But it'll belong to them, not to us. Um, and they're using the Long March 5B to launch these. And what makes it their actions willfully negligent is that the way that rocket's designed, it's got a core stage and two strap-on boosters. And the, the strap-on boosters are really kind of the first stage. And so it launches, and the two strap-on boosters eventually uh, drop off, and the core stage continues to burn. Think of the space shuttle, in a sense. It's kind of similar to that. And the core stage burns and reaches orbit with the module attached. And when, when it reaches orbit, its engine's cut off, and it deploys the module, the large payload, either a module for the space station, and it's launched two so far, or eventually will launch another module, or that space telescope. And so that module is then released, and it's in orbit, and it then maneuvers itself to go where it's supposed to go. But the core stage that reached orbit, it's large. It was 20 tons at launch. It's big enough, though, that even when empty, it's not going to burn up in the atmosphere. And its engines cannot be restarted. So once it cuts the engines off and deploys them, its payload, it's in a low orbit out of control. And the low orbit is low enough that within a week or so, it comes crashing down to the Earth. Ah. In no way to, to, to aim it. It's going to crash wherever it wants, to, where it's randomly going to go. And they've now done three long march uh, launches, long march 5B launches. And in every single case, that core stage was in orbit, and we had no idea it was going to crash. The second launch, if it had come down 15 minutes later, I'm sorry, earlier, it would have come down in the New York City metropolitan area. Really? Now, um, uh, the odds of it hitting anybody in that case is still not great. There's a 70% chance it's going to come over the ocean, granted. But the, China has signed the Outer, has signed the Outer Space Treaty. It's, they're, not requ they're required not to do this kind of thing, to take actions to prevent it. And they have designed a rocket that specifically does this, drops things on people's heads. And they've got another launch in October to do the same thing. Yeah. That, that is uh, staggering. Quick break for the weather. We'll come back with more with Robert Zimmerman, my favorite space and science writer. We will talk uh, Webb Telescope, and uh, he, he always posts photos uh, from the Mars missions and comments on those, and, and we'll get into that in some detail as well. Here on News Talk, E3OWCCO. We continue with Robert Zimmerman, my favorite space and science writer, his website, Behind the Black. And, uh, Bob, you post a lot of great photos from Mars and ex explain what we're looking at. It it's all very interesting. And you, you keep very close tabs on your website on what the rovers are doing and uh, uh, available images. It's, it's really interesting, and I, I always appreciate your work. Well, thank you very much, Steve. I mean, I've said this before, but to a certain extent, 
I'm a tourist, and this is I, I like I like to go hiking and I like mountains and the outdoors. Sure. And I can't do this on Mars from here on Earth, but the rovers are allowing us here on Earth to do the same thing by you looking through their eyes. And so my my focus is really a, the perspective of an ordinary person looking at the alien terrain of Mars. And what makes the 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 story interesting right now is that Curiosity, in particular, after ten years on on Mars, has is is right now on the cusp, literally day a day away from reaching a position in the mountains of uh, Gale Crater, in the mountains, not flat terrain like most. Rovers and landers have always landed on for safety, but in the mountains, it is about to reach a point where it can look down into a canyon it's been traveling towards for 10 years. This canyon's called uh, Geddes Vallis. I mean, we're talking about a spectacular canyon comparable to anything you'd see on Earth. Mount, you know, cliff faces uh, 1,500 to 2,000 feet high on wow. either side and not wide. So this is spectacular. And it is reaching a saddle in just the next day or so where it will be looking down into that canyon with the hope that it can then travel down the other side into that canyon finally. And this has been the goal for 10 years. And so I have to post these pictures because it's really spectacular, the visuals, and they're going to get better and better and better, and we're now at that point. Uh, you know, Perseverance is still on the floor of Jezero Craters, so even though there's some interesting images that I do post, uh, they tend to be far less spectacular because the terrain is not as spectacular yet. But don't worry, that'll change. And I'm a tourist, so I'm going to keep doing this. And uh, I hope to bring uh, everybody else into it as well so people can really see what it's like to try to explore an alien world. And, and I'll tell you, the images definitely show an alien world. Uh, you'll know, you know what I mean if you look at these images, right? Yeah, it, it is just extraordinary and, and fascinating to see and uh, the engineering and, and the technology to bring those uh, pictures back to us and get the rovers uh, on the red planet is is phenomenal. And speaking of technology, I, I, I want to spend a little time, before we do run out of time, on the Webb Telescope and, and your observations so far and and what we've we've seen through this, this new telescope, this infrared telescope. Um, has it exceeded your expectations so far? No, it's actually matched my expectations, which is good, I, because my expectations was it was going to discover things no one had expected, sure. which is, I had, you know, I had high expectations. If it succeeded, and I was always worried, would it succeed? Well, it has gotten into orbit. It's functioning. It's in its right place a million miles from Earth, and it's actually working. And it has already very quickly discovered things no one, no one predicted. Uh, this was optimized to do space, deep space cosmology, look back as far as possible towards the Big Bang, and to confirm the theories of cosmologists about the Big Bang. And it's, it's, it's matched my expectations. The discoveries so far are counter to the, the theories of cosmologists in the Big Bang. It is finding galaxies much earlier than expected, uh, much, much earlier, developed galaxies much, much earlier than expected, at time periods close to the Big Bang where they said it would be impossible for there to be a galaxies yet. So what that, does that mean? The observers have a time in their lives because they don't have, they don't care what the theories are. They love finding data, and if the data breaks the theory, they're, they're having a, they're having a ball. And the data here is making cosmologists sweat because their theories about the Big Bang are being seriously challenged. And 
I will say this right now. That is not new news. Uh, the cosmology community has done a lot of work to try to prevent uh, the, the, the uh, uncertainties of the Big Bang Theory from being discussed at great length. But they exist, and there are great uncertainties with that. There are great uncertainties having to do with dark energy and dark matter. And uh, the, what Webb specifically is dealing with was dark energy. That's the acceleration of the expansion of the universe that they think is happening. Uh, I once again, put a question mark on that. And the Big Bang itself that they think happened and put a question mark on that. It might have happened, but it happened as they propose. I always knew that was almost guaranteed not to be true. And the data coming off of Webb now is beginning to tell us that, yeah, you're going to have to rethink your theories and maybe a major shift in what those theories are. So the, 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 the cosmologists say there's a crisis here. I don't see it. If you, if you understand science properly, it's not a crisis. It's how science functions. It's exciting. Sure. It's what you should want. Oh, boy, we're finding out something new about the universe we didn't know before. Um, so the theorists got it wrong. That's no big deal. You look at the data. You figure out what the data is telling you, and you try to come up with a new theory. The previous theories were not bad things. They were based on what we knew. If they don't work with new dot knowledge, then you have to rethink, and that's part of science. That's how it works. Yeah, and back to the old theory that the Earth was flat. Um, that that was the theory, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. eventually proven wrong. And so uh, we yep. we move on from that. What 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 interests me about this, and, and I think you know, along the way, there's been television shows and documentaries trying to get people to understand the size and and scope of of the known universe you know let, let alone just the size of our solar system in this little corner of the milky way galaxy and you know the 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 untold number of galaxies like the milky way and unlike the milky way that that exists and i think that's that's to me some of these first images uh from web that have been made available is it is hard to fathom how large it is in time and space and distance um all all become very difficult for for the average bear to comprehend <laughs> um uh, yeah, uh, I think that Webb just underscores what uh, almost every teles big telescope that's been in built in the last 500 years each time has further emphasized that the universe is far greater than we can possibly imagine. And that yes. is exciting. Uh, it can be daunting. But, you know, yes, you don't absolutely. run in fear from, uh, from facts like that. If you're civilized, you get excited by it and want to find out more about the universe we live in. We shouldn't be, you know, like uh, uh, the primitives hiding from thunder. We should be trying to figure out what the thunder is and understand it. That's, that's the goal of civilization. It, it, it is extraordinary. And do, do you get the sense, though, and, and maybe we can close on this, that, Web's only been operating a relatively short period of time. That that we've just scratched the surface. That there, there's still exciting things to come for years from this instrument. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, think about this now. Hubble's been in orbit now for more than 30 years. It's been functioning correctly since '93. So that's just short of 30 years of data. 
it is still oversubscribed. They get five times as many requests for use than they have time to give it, um, because everything it does provides new things that we don't under, you know, that we're learning from. Um, the universe is once again a very vast place, and we don't see a lot of it with each image, uh, because the far deeper you look, the smaller the your 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 field of view, which means you're only seeing a tiny piece. And so you, to, to see the whole sky, it's like it's an infinite amount of knowledge to be gained. And yes. Uh, Web has only started, and it's got hopefully at least a decade of uh, data gathering to do. And during that period of time, I think it's going to revolutionize uh, and sub, um, uh, help uh, supplement what was learned and what is being learned by uh, by Hubble at the same time. And hopefully in the coming years, there will be many more such space telescopes in orbit all topping each other, one after another, after another. Yeah, it, it is extraordinary. Well, Bob, always good to visit with you. Once again, enjoy the website, Behind the Black, and hopefully we can visit again soon. Anytime, Steve. It's always a pleasure to come on. Have a good, have a good time. All right, there he is. Robert Zimmerman, my favorite space and science writer, have been talking with him from time to time here on the radio for a number of of years. It is 14 minutes now in front of one. Uh, we will come back, have some of the sports headlines. Uh, Kirk Cousins not feeling well, love training camp. Uh, the Twins were idle after losing two to the LA Dodgers. Uh, they will be in nearby Orange County to take on the Angels starting on Friday night. Our coverage begins at 8 p.m. Uh, we'll, we'll get into all of that in a moment. Here on News Talk, E3O WCCO. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 